0: We are continuing a series of lessons that began several weeks ago, What is Right with the Church of Christ? And I plan to finish that series today. And I hope and pray that what has been said thus far in our study has benefited you, and I would encourage you to take a copy of the outline or outlines and use them in your study, use them in your in your personal studies with others, and it might be that you have a chance to get the CDs and you want to share those with friends, family members, we'd be happy for you to do that. We are looking today at what is right with the Church of Christ. And as as we have said thus far in our study, there is a divine side to the church and there is the human side. The divine side is perfect. The human side, as you well know, is imperfect. We are a part of the imperfect side of the church. We're the body. And our goal is to be more Christ-like. Our goal is to strive to the best of our ability to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And we want to be a light in this world to do all that we can to attract others to the church that Jesus bought and purchased with His blood. In our study today, I want to talk about first and foremost, the church of Christ is right in her operation. Many of us are well aware of the fact that the church is intended to be an active, vibrant organism. In other words, we have been saved to serve the Lord. The Bible teaches us that. The passage that was read a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said we are his workmanship. The word workmanship in this verse carries with it the idea of masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the goal of every child of God is to demonstrate an active, working faith. You remember in James chapter 2, James would say in the first century that he would show his faith by his works. And so as I said a moment ago, we have been saved to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin by first of all talking about The fact that we ought to rejoice in serving the Lord. One of the great Psalms is Psalm 100. The psalmist said in Psalm 100, in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Why should we serve the Lord with gladness? Why do you think we ought to rejoice in our service to the Lord? Could I say that when you when you step back and reflect upon all the blessings and favors that God has bestowed on you as an individual, physically, mentally, emotionally, materially, spiritually, do you not have a lot to be grateful for? And in recognition of all that God has done for you, how He has so richly blessed your life, does that not does that not serve somewhat as a catalyst in your service to Him? Are you not glad or grateful for the opportunity to serve the Lord who is our Creator, He is our Sustainer, He is our Redeemer? The psalmist many years ago said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. James would write in chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above. We have all been richly blessed. I said a moment ago, we have been saved to serve. And you think about the redemptive story, the fact that Jesus Christ willingly emptied Himself, as Paul said, and took upon Himself human flesh, was willing to come to earth, and ultimately endure the cross for us. And the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 that, for, that he did it with joy. And why was that? Because he understood the end result of the cross. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, we read about a church that served the Lord. He talked about their work of faith, that is the apostle Paul, in writing to them. And Paul spent time in Thessalonica and he identified their work of faith and then he said their labor of love. When you think about all that God has done for us, it ought to be a labor of love. We ought to rejoice in serving the Lord. Now we're talking about what's right with the church of Christ. The church of Christ is right in her operation because the church understands that she has been saved to serve and ultimately to bring honor and glory to God. Everything that we do ultimately is for the glorification of God, isn't it? Didn't Paul write in Ephesians 3, verse 21, unto him be glory, where? In the church. The church has been created by the Lord. It was his design, it was his plan before the world began. The Lord is the one who bought it. He brought it into existence. It belongs to Him. And it exists to glorify God. And so I think about how we ought to rejoice in serving the Lord. And then there's a second thing. It has to do with our role in serving the Lord. Now, when you look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures are a template for how the church operates. Sometimes people ask the question, what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is the Great Commission, isn't it? Listen to Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 18. Go therefore, and when you read about the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Lord has to say about His people, you read words like, go. You read terms like laborers. You read words like work, lending insight into the fact that there is something for us to do. And so, when we talk about our role in serving the Lord, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Primarily, the thrust of the work of the church is evangelism. Now, according to Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 20, evangelism is the first work of the church. A byproduct of that is Edification. That is, we're involved in teaching and grounding people in the church, in building them up in the faith. And then we engage in works of benevolence, don't we? But ultimately, benevolence and edification tie back to evangelism. So I think about our role in serving the Lord. And you think about what the Bible has to say. Every Christian has the responsibility of teaching others. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it was not just primarily intended for the apostles or for the first century church, but rather that commission is ongoing, is it not? We all have the responsibility of teaching others, of reaching out to friends and family members, to co-workers and classmates, to neighbors, to talk to other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I ask you a question today? When's the last time you talked to somebody face-to-face about Jesus? Go back and look at the early church. In Acts chapter 8, when the church was faced with great persecution... The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere. And what were they doing? They were sowing the seed of the kingdom. They went everywhere preaching the word. You don't have to do that publicly, but you can do it privately. So our role in serving the Lord, we've got to teach other people. Not only are we instructed to teach others, but we are instructed to serve others, are we not? I said a moment ago that one of the works of the church is benevolence. And Paul would write in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 10, As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them which are the household of faith. James said, pure religion, true true religion is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. In other words, To render aid to them. To be supportive of them. Not just emotionally. Not just physically, but also materially. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talked about the day of judgment, do you remember what he he said about those who were on the right side? He said, I was hungry, and what did you do? You gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you came unto me. And they wanted to know, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or naked, or a stranger, or sick and in prison? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my disciples. You did it unto me. Who are you teaching? Who are you serving? Have you taught somebody this past year? Have you served the needs of another person throughout this year? What about with regard to our role in serving the Lord? Do you demonstrate genuine care for other people? Do you really care about them? You know, when you look at the body of Christ, we are to be people that are close-knit. We're family, aren't we? The last time I checked, family members do what? They check on one another, don't they? They care for one another. They're concerned about one another. Think about what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When is the last time you sought to bear the burdens of somebody who was hurting? I mean, really hurting. Maybe they they have been the victim of some emotional and devastating blow in life. There are some people right now that are hurting badly, it's the holidays. And there are a lot of folks that are trying to cope with the holiday season as it rolls around without their loved one. Didn't Paul say rejoice with those who rejoice? Weep with those who weep. You know, this is a joyous time for a lot of folks, but there are a lot of people, I promise you, there are a lot of folks right now. This is anything but a cheerful time for them. It is a grind. They just want to get through the new year. So as you serve the Lord, you shown your care for somebody. Have you sent somebody a card? Have you sent anybody a text and told them how much, you, how much you thought about them, how much you cared for them? What about praying for others? Can we not pray for one another? You know the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, And I think about Paul. Here's a man who was an apostle. He's a great preacher. He's a missionary. He wrote some 13 13 books of the New Testament. This is a spiritual giant. And yet when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, listen to what he said in chapter 5, verse 25. He said, brethren, pray for us. You know, even the strongest need prayers, don't they? We all need prayers. And to think that we have the opportunity to pray for one another. In Colossians chapter 4, at verse 12, Paul speaks of a brother by the name of Epaphras. And he said, who is one of you? He went on to say, he sends his greetings to you. And he is always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Here was a brother that spent time praying for the church at Ephesus. When's the last time you prayed for somebody? Prayed for somebody that you knew was hurting or suffering or facing some tough times When's the last time you prayed with somebody that you knew was discouraged? When's the last time you prayed for somebody that spiritually wasn't where they needed to be? When's the last time you prayed for your family members and your friends? You know, when we talk about the Scriptures, it's one thing to talk about Scriptures and to interpret the meaning of Scripture, to exegete passages, we got to bring it down where we live, don't we? We've got to make application to our lives. And so are we serving one another? Are we teaching others? Are we praying for for others? Do we demonstrate care for others? These are things that are important in the Christian life. And then there's also the importance of encouraging others. Do you ever need encouragement in life? Do you ever just need a dose of encouragement? Let me tell you what, there are times when I need to be encouraged. When I think about Barnabas, the Bible says that Barnabas was synonymous with encouragement. Do you remember in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas was in Antioch. He encouraged those saints in the first century that with purpose of heart they might continue in the Lord. Solomon wrote many years ago, a good word is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A word fitly spoken. And the idea is the right word at the right time can do what? It can encourage somebody. You ever been discouraged and despondent? maybe even depressed. Listen, you you can get down in this life, can't you? And sometimes, sometimes for somebody to come up to you and say, you know what, I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do to help you? To maybe offer a word of encouragement to say, you know what, I'm with you. I'll stand with you. Whatever you're going through, I'm here for you. Does that not make a difference in the lives of people? You ever see people and you know they're hurting, they're struggling? They'll, not, they, they'll never tell you they're hurting and struggling, but they're hurting and they're struggling and they're battling some real problems in life. But you can be that Barnabas to help others. Now you think about what's right with the church. What's right with the church of Christ? The church of Christ is right in her operation. Now we talked about evangelism edification, benevolence, the works of the church. We could draw three circles up here today. What sphere of service would you put your name in? Are you evangelizing? Are you edifying? Are you involved in benevolence? It might be that you're involved in all three. But when you read about children of God in the first century, let me tell you what, they were active and working. It was a vibrant church in the first century. Jesus asked on one occasion, and let me tell you what, what he asked in the first century is relevant to some today. He said, why do you stand here idle all day? Quite frankly, some people in the body of Christ, it's time to get It's time to get busy, isn't it? Time to get to work. The work of the church is a team effort, isn't it? It takes everybody. And none of us are too good to do anything, are we not? We're all here to work together. And everything that we do is intended to bring glory and honor to God. Now there's a second thing I want to share with you. The church of Christ is right in her operation and the church of Christ is right in her destination. What about the destination of the church? Did you know that the church, I'm talking about the church of Christ, the church of Christ has the hope of heaven. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 1 in verse 2 and he said that we live in hope of life eternal which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Let me just talk for a minute or two about the confidence of a believer. Are you confident in your Christian faith? How confident are you in your relationship to the Lord? I know there are a lot of folks today They're really not confident. Rather than standing on solid ground, it's as if they're standing in quicksand. They're not confident. Go back and read about the saints in the first century. Let me tell you what, the saints in the first century, they had confidence. They believed in the Lord and they believed that as a result of the relationship that they enjoyed with the Lord, they lived in anticipation. They had the firm conviction of heaven. Do you have that same conviction today? Do you remember the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Paul would say in verse 1, for we know, but if this earthly house, this tabernacle, that is this body, be dissolved. He said, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul, how'd you know that? He knew it by revelation, didn't he? Do we not have revelation today? Yes, we do. So if we have done what they did in the first century, and we belong to the same body that they belong to, do we not have can we not have the same confidence that they had? Listen to Paul. Think about your life right now. You know, we said goodbye to a lot of folks this year. We're wrapping up this year. It might be the case that we say goodbye to somebody else before the year, before the year concludes. But you think about when you come down to the end of your life, Do you want to go out with confidence, conviction, assurance? Or do you want to be hope so, think so, maybe so? I hope I have a home in heaven. Paul said the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. He said I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. No wavering in his faith, no wondering about what lies before him. Paul's saying, look, I, I know, I am absolutely sure that when this body gives way to death, I've got a home in heaven. Do you have that same kind of confidence? The church of Christ is right about her destination why because we're heaven bound aren't we now you think about not only not only do we have confidence about heaven but we're going to receive a crown aren't we didn't james say blessed is the man that endures temptation For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. That Stephanos, the victor's crown. When you get to the end of the race, didn't Paul say there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me? Didn't Jesus say, be faithful unto death? And the promise is I'll give you the crown of life. Are you going to go out a winner? You know, we talk about our confidence in the Lord, and our crown from the Lord. One day to wear that victor's crown, to be owned and claimed by the Lord, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then I think about not just the hope of heaven, but also our home in heaven. Our home in heaven It is a prepared place. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Did you know the Lord has gone to prepare for you an eternal abiding place Did you know that as a child of God you have an inheritance? Peter said it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, it fades not away. Listen to him. It is reserved in heaven for whom? For you. God thinks enough of you to have a place reserved for you in heaven. The Lord wants you to be with Him in heaven, doesn't He? Let's talk about the people who are going to heaven. A lot of folks say, who's going to heaven? I can tell you exactly who's going to heaven. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. I want you to read this with me. Ephesians 5, verse 23. Paul said, the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And He is the Savior of what? Of the body. Who has God promised to save? What people? He has only promised to save those who are in the body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body, the church. Well, what church? The church that Jesus died and purchased with His blood. The church He promised to build in Matthew 16, 18. The church that he shed his blood for, Acts 20, verse 28. The church that he is now head over. Now listen again to what Paul said. Jesus is the Savior of the body. You mean to tell me I've got to be a part of the body, the church, to go to heaven? That's what Paul said. You think Paul knew what he was talking about? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter. 14 verse 37, the things that he wrote, listen to him, were the commandments of the Lord. Somebody says, that's awfully narrow. Look, I didn't define the limitations or the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. My responsibility is to simply preach the word, isn't it? When I read what they did in the first century and what did they do to become a member of the body of Christ? They believed Jesus to be the Son of God, didn't they? Didn't didn't the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, didn't he confess that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Have you repented of your sins on Pentecost Day? Those people that had taken part in the crucifixion of Jesus, they were instructed by Peter, and Peter, by the way, was an inspired apostle. And Peter said to those people in the long ago, you need to repent. That means to turn from a life of sin, to change your course, to change your conduct. And then he went on to say, Not only were they to repent, but they were to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, I want to ask the question, did Peter know what he was talking about? Either he did or he did not. Now some say, well, why do you keep going back to Acts 2 verse 38? And why do you continue to emphasize the importance of repentance and baptism into Christ? because most people in the religious world do not emphasize what Peter did. If we fail to do what Peter did and what Peter said to do, then the question is, are we what they were in the first century? And the answer is no. Now you think about what you typically hear on the radio or television today or in many denominational churches. What do you hear typically when it comes to becoming a child of God? Accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, bow your head, say this prayer, and you are accepted into the kingdom of God. What did Peter say? Wouldn't that have been a great time for Peter to, to have said to those people on Pentecost Day, accept the Lord Jesus Christ? into your heart, recite this prayer, and you'll become one of God's children. He didn't say that, did he? So what gives me the right to say something other than what Peter said? What gives me the right to say something other than what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16? What gives me the right to say something other than what Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus in Acts twenty two sixteen? 16? I have no right to change the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. What the Lord said, it will stand. So when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ as they did on Pentecost Day, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel and the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who then are the saved? The saved are those who have been baptized into Christ. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they've repented of their sins, they've confessed the name of Christ, they have been immersed in water, and God has placed them in the church, which is the body. And who is? who is in the body? Well, those who have obeyed the gospel. Who then are the saved? Well, listen to what Paul said. He, speaking of Jesus, is the savior of the body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18, all right? How many bodies are there? Ephesians 4, verse 4. Listen, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called, in one hope of your calling. Look, that is as plain and simple as ABC, isn't it? Anybody can understand that. So when we talk about what's right with the church of Christ... The church of Christ is right. Look, we do not have to apologize for preaching and teaching the truth. For saying, this is what the Bible says. Didn't Peter say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God? Didn't Paul say, preach the word? What right do I have to preach something other than what's in this book, the Bible? I don't have any right. So, I want to ask you today, are you a member of the church that you read about in the Bible? Are you a member of the blood-bought body of Jesus? If you're not in His church, you're not among the saved. And look, I didn't say that. That's what Paul said. So, if you're here today and you have not obeyed the gospel, please, Look at what the Bible says. Obey the truth of God. Truth will set you free, John 8, 32. Be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, your life's not what it ought to be and you need to be, you need to be back in fellowship with God and His people, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing for your encouragement.